How come you didn't knock? I'm using a better grade of gas. Hey folks, Mackenzie Lambert here, your host for Mac and the Movies, where we look at everything from art house to grindhouse, mainstream to obscure, the forgotten, and the unforgettable. On this episode, we will be taking a look at films brought to us by the legendary comedy trio of David Zucker, Jerry Zucker, and Jim Abrahams. The films on the docket include the Kentucky Fried Movie, Airplane, The Naked Gun, Hot Shots, Brain Donors, and Basketball. Before we go into the movies, let's take a look at the men themselves. Jim Abrahams was born on May 10th, 1944. David Zucker was born on April 16th, 1947, with his younger brother, Jerry, born on March 11th, 1950. All three of them grew up as friends in Shorewood, Wisconsin, being classmates at Shorewood High School. During their time at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, they founded the Kentucky Fried Theater. There, they wrote and performed various comedy sketches that would later provide their material for the Kentucky Fried movie. The trio often worked together with films like Airplane, Top Secret, and Ruthless People, yet each would have their own success as well. Jim Abrahams directed the Hot Shots series, Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael, and finished with Jane Austen's Mafia. Jerry Zucker had his share of success outside of the comedy genre, directing Ghosts with Patrick Swayze and First Night with Sean Connery. Jerry's last film was Rat Race. David Zucker enjoyed a longer directorial career with films like Basketball, The Boss's Daughter, and the later Scary Movie entries. David's career ended with An American Carol, starring Kevin Farley as a caricature of filmmaker Michael Moore. Ultimately, their legacy will be that they were the kings of the parody film. They managed to innovate the scattergun joke delivery, and very few, if any, were able to keep it going in any clever representation. The closest would be Keenan Ivory Wayne's with I'm Gonna Get You Sucka, which I reviewed in episode 41, Black Cinema Icons. Why is the parody film pretty much dead at this point? Well, we have the duo of Zeltzer and Freebird to thank for that. Date movie, epic movie, disaster movie, meet the Spartans, vampires suck. They flooded the market with so many bad parodies that they killed the subgenre for themselves and for others that may have wanted to try their hand. Now let's dive into the movies. Oh, we got movies! Ah! The popcorn you're eating has been pissed in. Film at 11. Say, have you seen the karaoke? It's not a foxtrot or a polka. It has a little bit of blue rhythm, a blue rhythm that sighs. It has a meter, it has a meter that is tricky. The Kentucky Fried movie is a sketch film in the truest sense. Imagine Saturday Night Live, written by the minds that gave us Hot Shots, Airplane, The Naked Gun, and An American Werewolf in London, without being creatively stifled by pesky television censors. The delivery of the comedy is the same scattergun approach the Suckers and Abrahams would use in their later films. 
The film is hit or miss with the jokes. Sometimes they fall flat, other times they are dead on. In my opinion, the sketches work for the most part. The PSA for the United Appeal for the Dead, the porno parody Catholic High School Girls in Trouble, the short educational film Zinc Oxide and You, the disaster exploitation film That's Armageddon, these sketches work very well and play to the strengths of the quartet at the helm. Many of their recurring gags hit also. Uh, the Gemini bit. You're a Gemini like me, but you can expect the unexpected. I'm Joyce Wilson. You're asked to... Then there's... Big Jim Slade. They never fail to get a laugh out of me. There were a few segments that didn't work for me. Uh, the courtroom sketch drags the film near the end. The Bruce Lee spoof, A Fistful of Yen, kills the film's momentum. Before the segment, the sketches average between 5 to 10 minutes. A Fistful of Yen almost triples that max length. This sketch illustrates the issue with the Crimson Permanent Assurance from Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. Here's John Cleese and Eric Idle to explain. The next thing I knew about it, he's produced a sequence that lasted, I think, 31 minutes, and which had gone a million dollars over budget. And I think it was cut down to 23 minutes. And, of course, it stopped the movie, because you can't come along with a series of sketches and then have a 23-minute thing. It was just too long, too diverse, and it didn't fit in the place. So somebody had the brilliant idea of making it the precursor film. In the case of A Fistful Again, the filmmakers should have closed with it or put it as separate from the main film. Not surprisingly, though, the A Fistful Again has the best backstory. The lawyers wanted the group to scrap the Bruce Lee parody. Uh, the solution of Landis, Abrahams, and the Zuckers? Hire new lawyers. I do have a soft spot for this film. In my younger years, I came across this film and saw the peeping news broadcast sketch that closes the film. Tara Strohmeyer was the first display of female nudity I had ever seen in a film. She was my first movie crush. For others and myself, this was our first dirty movie. Uh, we gleefully enjoyed uh, this film behind the backs of our parents. There were tits, acne, fart jokes, and a punk anti-authority spirit with the filmmakers flipping off squares and societal status quo. The film features unexpected comedy performances from the likes of Bill Bixby, George Lazenby, Donald Sutherland, and Henry Gibson. They were big names at the time, and they were all the more willing to make fools of themselves. The Kentucky Fried movie works great as a sketch film. Uh, the scattergun approach by Landis, Abrahams, and the Zuckers works more often than not, but the jokes that fail stand out even more. Still, the ones that land are classics nonetheless. with war pilot Ted Stryker pursuing ex-girlfriend Elaine Dickinson. Stryker suffers from PTSD after a tragedy during the war, causing him to give up flying. Elaine was only able to take so much before she decided to leave him. Meanwhile, there are growing cases of food poisoning among the passengers and the crew. Soon, the pilots fall victim to the illness and are incapacitated. 
Now Stryker must overcome his fear of flying and bring the plane safely to the airport. While this is the general plot of the film, what I failed to mention was that this was the starting point of the Zucker Abraham's Zucker parody films. From start to finish, the film hits you with multiple jokes and gags, some recognized by the cast while other gags aren't sold. The premise of Airplane is exactly that of the 1957 film Zero Hour, starring Dana Andrews, even going as far as to take names of the characters from Zero Hour and dialogue as well. This has resulted in Zero Hour becoming an unintentional comedy of sorts, and through no fault of its own. I wrote an article on Zero Hour and its airplane connections for Filmtonomy. I'll have a link in the description below for that article. The short of it is the Zuckers and Abrahams were able to get away with this parody because Paramount owned Zero Hour and was also producing Airplane. There's no shortage of classic comedy bits in this film. Much like with Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I could use the entire movie to illustrate the cleverness of the Zuckers and Abrahams. The cast of actors bring a whole level of genius to their performances. Robert Hayes plays the lead male role of Ted Stryker. Like most of the cast, Hayes plays the role straight, which makes the comedy stand out even more. He was a frequent television actor, appearing in Wonder Woman, The Rockford Files, and Streets of San Francisco. In the mid-1990s, he was the voice of Tony Stark in Iron Man, in the animated series for Iron Man, as well as the mid-90s Incredible Hulk animated show. Julie Haggerty plays the love interest Elaine Dickinson, Haggerty plays up the ditzy nature of the character, who never seems to fully grasp the gravity of the situation she's in. Maybe that's part of the charm of her character. Airplane was her first feature film, followed by Airplane 2 and a wealth of TV credits. The supporting cast is filled to the brim with talent. Robert Stack, Lloyd Bridges, Peter Graves. The film was a career resurgence for Leslie Nielsen. You have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Steven Strucker steals the film as Johnny. Bad news. The fog is getting thicker. And Leon's getting larger. Jonathan Banks, before he was Mike in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Barbara Billingsley from Leave it to Beaver, along with Norman Gibbs and Al White, are the jive talkers. Sorry, I don't understand. Cuddy say can't hang. Oh, stewardess, I speak jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine? Just hang loose, blood. She's going to catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama? My mama raised no dummies. I duck a rap. Cut me some slack, Jack. Chomp the one to help, chomp don't get the kill. Jive ass dude don't got no brains in And a brief cameo by Kitten Natividad, flashing her tits. Natividad was a regular for skin flick master Russ Meyer. Airplane is a genuine classic, rewatchable, quotable, a game cast, and spot on timing and material. This film is a must see. Officer Nordberg is investigating a local heroin racket. He is shot while trying to arrest the crew on the boat carrying the narcotics. He manages to survive the incident, but is in the hospital in critical condition. 
Lieutenant Frank Drebin returns to Los Angeles after heroically defeating the likes of the Ayatollah, Gaddafi, Fidel Castro, among others. Drebin and his boss, Captain Ed Hocken, visit Nordberg. He offers them clues to the location of the heroine, but Drebin misinterprets the information given to him by Nordberg. They soon find out about the boat carrying the heroine. Meanwhile, police squad is on a serious assignment. They are to protect the Queen of England during her visit to Los Angeles. Yet Ludwig, who owns the docks and is head of the committee welcoming the Queen, intends to assassinate her for $20 million. The Naked Gun films originally started out as a TV show, but only lasted six episodes, two of which were directed by Joe Dante of Gremlins fame. According to the ABC Entertainment president at the time, Tony Tamopoulos, the viewer had to watch it in order to appreciate it. Basically, the audience wasn't willing to pay enough attention to the show to catch and appreciate all the constant gags and jokes. TV Guide responded to the explanation as the most stupid reason a network ever gave for ending a series. According to Matt Grunning, the creator of The Simpsons, he felt Police Squad was ahead of its time. In his words, if Police Squad had been made 20 years later, it would have been a smash hit. In 1982, your average viewer was unable to cope with its pace, its quick-fire jokes, but these days they'd have no problem keeping up. I think we've proved that. Fortunately, The Naked Gun, Files from Police Squad, was a huge success, both critically and commercially. It spawned two sequels. The film made Zuckers and Abrahams the top talent in parody comedy. After Airplane, Creepshow, and the Nicky Gun series, Leslie Nielsen enjoyed a second career and cemented as a comedic talent after spending years in B-films like Project Kill and Day of the Animals for director William Girdler. Nielsen became the face of parody, for better or worse. He was in Repossessed, which was a parody of The Exorcist, followed by 2001 A Space Travesty, Dracula Dead and Loving It, Spy Hard, Wrongfully Accused, Scary Movie 3, Scary Movie 4, Superhero Movie, and An American Carol. All critical and commercial failures. The Naked Gun was the feature film debut for Priscilla Presley after TV appearances on The Fall Guy with Lee Majors and Dallas. Other credits include Tales from the Crypt, Melrose Place, Touched by an Angel, and Spin City. An eclectic career to say the least. George Kennedy took over the role of Captain Ed Hocken for the Naked Gun movie series. In the short-lived TV program, Hocken was played by Peter Lupus of Mission Impossible fame. Kennedy was one of the go-to character actors in film. Credits include The Dirty Dozen, Charade, Cool Hand Luke, Guns of the Magnificent Seven, Creepshow 2, among many other films and TV shows. Filling out the supporting cast is Ricardo Multiban from Star Trek II, Ratha Khan, football player turned actor turned accused killer turned Twitter laughingstock, O.J. Simpson, Nancy Marchant, and Tiny Ron Taylor of The Rocketeer. The Naked Gun series marked one of the few successful transitions of an IP from television to the big screen. This was the trio of Zucker, Abrahams, and Zucker at their peak. Sadly, this film marks the last time this trio would work together, going to work on their own ventures. Every night I hope and pray A dream lover will come my way A girl to hold in my arms And 
magic of her charms Cause I want girl to call my own I want a dream lover so I don't have to dream Shots centers on ace pilot Tupper Harley, who was struggling to deal with the tragic death of his father, as well as the mistaken killing of his father's co-pilot. He goes into seclusion, taken in by an old Indian wise man. Harley is visited by Lieutenant Commander Block for a top-secret mission, Operation Sleepy Weasel. He's reluctant to join, but then eventually agrees. He soon falls in love with his psychiatrist, Ramada, who is the former girlfriend of Kent Gregory, the son of Topper's father's co-pilot. All the while, the motive of Operation Sleepy Weasel is to have the Navy planes replaced with those of Mr. Wilson, a plane tycoon who stands to make a lot of money should the Navy purchase his planes. Harley was brought in to be the scapegoat for when the Navy planes are sabotaged. Hot Shot stands, in my opinion, as the best parody film post-separation of the Zuckers and Abrahams trio. Abrahams takes snippets of various films and manages to make a coherent parody of Top Gun, all while including references to Superman, Gone with the Wind, Nine and a Half Weeks, Dances with Wolves, Rocky, and Marathon Man. He doesn't just throw all of these elements together for the sake of random humor, a common quality of later parody films by David Zucker and the duo of Zeltzer and Freeberg. Charlie Sheen kills it as Topper Harley. She manages to make the material work while keeping a straight face. At the time of Hot Shots, he was still enjoying his leading man run after films like Platoon and Wall Street. Carrie Elwes was made into a superstar thanks to The Princess Bride. In Hot Shots, he's doing a spot-on impression of Val Kilmer's Iceman. His later credits include Bram Stoker's Dracula, Robin Hood Men in Tights, Twister, Liar Liar, Shadow of the Vampire, and Saw. The lovely Valeria Golino adds the sexual attention as Ramada. She plays up the sexual appeal, which makes the nine and a half weeks segment all the funnier. She got her acting start in 1983 and is still acting to this day. Credits include Big Top Pee Wee, Rain Man, Leaving Las Vegas, Four Rooms, Escape from L.A., and Frida. Lloyd Bridges was the comedic linchpin as Admiral Benson. He has some of the biggest laughs in this film. Pete, dead meat Thompson is dead. So is Mo Green, Titalia, Barzini. The heads of all the five families. It is at moments like these, my dear friends, that we must ask ourselves, how can this not be part of some larger plan? Do good men like dead meat Thompson just blink out one day like a bad bug? I mean, one minute you're in bed with a knockout gal or guy, and the next you're a compost heap. Well, doesn't that bother any of you? Because it scares the living piss out of me. Thanks to Airplane and Hot Shots, he would work with Jim Abrahams for Hot Shots Part Deux and Mafia, a parody on mobster films. The sporting cast features no shortage of talent. Kevin Dunn, who was the legit psychic in Ghostbusters 2, John Cryer, William O'Leary, the original and better Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Christy Swanson, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., the voice of Alfred in Batman the Animated Series, Bill Irwin, Bruce A. Young, and Whose Line is an Anime alumni, Ryan Stiles. Despite the trio of Zuckers and Abrahams going their own ways, Hot Shots Under the Direction of Jim Abrahams is one of the top parody films of all time. Top-notch casting and great material make for an entertaining watch. Lloyd Bridges alone makes this film a must-see. 
The late husband of Lillian Oglethorpe states in his will that a portion of his wealth will be dedicated to establishing a ballet company. Much to the dismay of her late husband's attorney, Laszlo, Lillian brings in ambulance chaser Roland T. Flackfizer. Lillian agrees that whoever brings in the company talent will be given the honor of company chairman. Roland finds allies in Jacques, the servant to the Oglethorpes, and Rocco, a down-on-his-luck cab driver. Laszlo hires the egotistical great Valari, while Roland discovers Lisa, the lead ballerina-to-be. Lillian has no other choice but for both to share the honor of chairman. Laszlo and Valari plot to remove Roland from the chairman position. Unfortunately, a paper trail exposes the past misdeeds of Roland, and he is quickly removed from the chairman position. After the firing of Lisa by Valari, the trio of Roland, Jacques, and Rocco sabotage the ballet production to get revenge on Laszlo and Valari. On a number of occasions, Hollywood attempts to bring in vintage-inspired entertainment to the newest generation of audiences. We've seen this with Young Frankenstein, The Artist, and Hail Caesar. The biggest example of a failure would be the 2012 update of The Three Stooges from the Farrelly Brothers. The Fairleys bastardized the Stooges with bad jokes and off-color humor, all while trying to come off as a family-friendly film. With brain donors, the Marx Brothers are given proper respect and remain loyal to the burlesque origins of the trio. If any of this sounds familiar, this is basically the premise of the Marx Brothers classic A Night at the Opera, only with the opera elements switched out with ballet. John Turturro plays the Groucho-inspired Roland, matching the quick, innuendo-filled delivery. How many of you saw this man carelessly and without regard for life and property careen into my clients at almost 85 miles per hour? Hmm. And who of you will tell their story to my young 24-year-old Miss International wet t-shirt champion nymphomaniac secretary? Yo. Mel Smith as Rocco does an East End of London characterization to Chico. Are driving a cab? Nah, as soon as I get my driver's license, I'm quitting. Aren't those numbers clicking by awfully fast? You're probably a speed reader. Well, you got me there. Bob Nelson tackles the gag-laden physical comedy of Harpo. All three have their moments, but garner huge laughs when on screen together. The leads also have their own degree of familiarity. At the time of the film's production, the Zuckers were under contract with Paramount and enjoying a streak of successful titles. They had the Kentucky Fried Movie... Airplane, The Naked Gun, and Ghost. Yes, that ghost. Get him wet. Now just let the clay slide between your fingers. Things were going very well for the siblings. Brain donors, originally titled Lame Ducks, had strong support behind it from the studio with a major marketing plan. Yet, it was announced that the Zuckers would not be re-signing with Paramount. The reaction by Paramount was what one would expect from a crazy ex. The ad campaign was scrapped. The music score was originally done by Ira Newborn of the Naked Gun films. According to internet rumor and innuendo, his score was replaced with a music score by Devo frontman Mark Mothersbaugh. If you listen to other work by Mavis Baugh, notably the music for Pee-wee's Playhouse and Rugrats, it is totally possible he worked on the score in the final cut of the film. Brain Donors was given a very limited release and quickly left theaters. It was dropped on home video and DVD, but it's kind of hard to find. 
If a film was ever buried by a studio, this is a perfect example of such. I found out about the film when I was young. I remember stumbling across it on a VHS tape in my mother's collection. I had to be no more than 10 years old. I grew up on the Marx Brothers, and watching the film, I was immediately taken in by it. To this day, I love it. My mom loves it. My dad loves it. Everyone I've shown this movie to or has seen it loves it. James Hancock of The Wrong Real Podcast and I geeked out over it during one of our sessions for his podcast. While the critical reception on Rotten Tomatoes is at 45% with 11 reviews, the audience score is at a healthy 85% with 4,300 ratings. On iTunes, Brain Donors has a 4.6 rating with 27 viewers, 7.1 on IMDb, 4.5 stars on Amazon via 140 reviewers, Voodoo is at 4.5 with 208 ratings. Clearly, this film resonates with its audience and more than deserves a justifiable home release with special features. While this wasn't directed by the Zuckers, it was produced by them. I'm allowing myself one cheat for this episode, and Brain Donors is that film. Dennis Dugan was the director of this film. His credits as an actor and director cover a wide range of highs and lows, hits and misses, he started out as a TV actor in The Mod Squad, Love American Style, and The Waltons before his big break as Detective Richie Brockelman, followed by MASH and Hill Street Blues. His acting film credits include Parenthood, Problem Child, Happy Gilmore, Saving Silverman, Big Daddy, and numerous Adam Sandler comedies, many of which he also directed. Turturro had a career for himself, notably with the Coen brothers. Smith was a prominent British comedian, but movie fans will know him as the albino in The Princess Bride. Nelson was a stand-up comedian, hailed by Johnny Carson as one of the funniest people you'll ever see. The supporting cast is filled with a number of great talents, as straight foils for the comedic leads to play off of. Nancy Marchant of The Sopranos plays Lillian, the Margaret Dumont character that is the fixation of Groucho. George de la Pena plays up the villainous Valari, making him a bad guy you'd love to see get his comeuppance. John Sividant, as Laszlo, makes a great contrast to Roland. Juliana Donald brings a girl-next-door charm to Lisa. Terry Copley has the Marilyn Monroe bubbly sex appeal. Brain Donors is a film well worth your time. It pays proper homage to the classic comedic stylings of the Marx Brothers without compromising for a family-friendly audience. The trio of Taturo, Nelson, and Smith make this film. I normally opt for physical media, but the price ranges are a little too high for my preference. It seems digital is the only option for brain donors. Highly recommended. two burnouts who crash a high school party reunion. They are shooting hoops until they're challenged to a game by classmates. Upon seeing their opponents being more skillful, Joe and Doug end up making an entire new game on the spot. After winning, they tweak the rules of the game. Over the course of months, the game becomes a local hit. 
Ted Denslow, a businessman, proposes making basketball a national sport that will allow for a fresh start. Teams cannot switch cities, players cannot be traded, individuals cannot make money via corporate sponsorship deals, and it is completely open to anyone who wants to play, with Denslow stating that anyone can be a sports hero, a notion that personally resonates with Joe. Five years later, the National Basketball League is enjoying monster success and exposure. Denslow was the owner of the Milwaukee Beers, headed up by Joe and Doug. Unfortunately, Denslow dies while choking on a hot dog. As stated in Denslow's will, Joe has ownership of the team for one year to win the Denslow Cup. Otherwise, the ownership reverts to Denslow's widow, Yvette, much to the pleasure of rival owner Baxter Kane. Basketball was a pride of its time and reflected the quality of comedy that was associated with South Park. Basketball came out in 1998, a year after the premiere of South Park. The film has aged about as well as the first couple of seasons of South Park, long before the show became a major cornerstone of contemporary pop culture. The sophomoric humor within early South Park and basketball was not uncommon for both Trey Parker and Matt Stone. From their feature film debut with Cannibal the Musical and Orgasmo, both distributed under the Troma banner, the lowbrow humor was part of their repertoire. Team America World Police, which came out six years after basketball, showed the type of satirical humor that would be the hallmark of South Park. While only coming out a year after South Park started, the film feels tired. From David Zucker's less than energetic direction to Parker and Stone on autopilot, the material is weak and dated. Yet, enthusiastic parts of the film are in the supporting roles of Denslow, Baxter, and Kenny, respectively played by Ernest Borgnine, Robert Vaughn, and Dion Bakker. Robert Stack and the Unsolved Mysteries segments are the true highlight of the film. The young man's whole life in front of him disappears. A familiar story, yes, but this is no ordinary Joe. Joseph R. Cooper, perhaps the most loved sports figure in the country, vanished. According to Mrs. Elsie Melcher, a neighbor who asked not to be identified, Joe Cooper left his house two weeks ago. According to Angelique Bones, a nosy bitch who lives up the street, he took with him only a toothbrush, a wallet, a steamer trunk, and a plane ticket to Calcutta. Police theorized several possible scenarios of what happened with a man affectionately known to the world as Coop. Well, I don't know where the hell he is. For all I care, he could be hanging by his neck in his fucking closet. Scenario number one, he's hanging by his neck in his fucking closet. The night before his disappearance, Coop's girlfriend had paid him a visit. According to friends, they had quarreled. If you're looking for Joe Cooper, I suggest you look wherever you find the most heinous, blatant, and vile exploitation of children on the planet. Scenario number two. Coop went to Disney World. Yasmin Bleeth and Jenny McCarthy don't have much to do with the material. Bleeth is bland as Joe's love interest, Jenna. McCarthy is amusingly ditzy as Yvette. Bob Costas and Al Michaels are hilarious in their own right as the basketball commentators. Basketball comes off as a fall from grace for David Zucker. Uh, This film is a far cry from his early films with his brother Jerry and Jim Abrahams. I would suggest seeing this film just so people can witness how far Parker and Stone evolved as comedians. Out of all the movies in this episode, this is one you can actually skip and not miss anything. And that wraps up this episode of Mac in the Movies. Thanks for listening. 
In two weeks on June 1st, we will be looking at the films from director, producer, and distributor Jerry Gross. Uh, Some of these movies will not be ones that he actually directed or produced, but ones that he distributed. Uh, The films on the docket include 1970's I Drink Your Blood, 1971's I Eat Your Skin, 1973's Son of Dracula, 1974's All the Kind Strangers, and 1979's Zombie. If you enjoy this program and want to see it grow, a one-time donation would be greatly appreciated. PayPal, Venmo, and Cash App details are available. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Inquiries can be sent to my Gmail. All information in the description below. Until next time, this is Mackenzie Lambert for Mega the Movies. Take care and stay safe. Mr. Melanchag. No dogs. I used to be a chef in a Korean restaurant. Oh.